Well, if you'd like, you could open your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. And we'll read the verses from 20 to the end, verse 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. I'm sure you've heard the proverb that says leadership, that everything rises and falls on leadership. True in the business world, correct? How many of you have been on a project and you've looked at your project manager or you've looked at your manager, your boss, and you kind of wondered, man, I could do that better. Have you ever wondered that? Anyone here? I remember working at the Walgreens Help Center for about nine months. This is a part-time job. And I can just remember all the things that leadership would do that as, I, as a, just a part-timer, I was amazed and thought, how can you guys lead this company to be so far ahead in, in the uh, industry and yet still make these huge mistakes? One time they rolled out a payroll program that just threw off the payroll program for about two months straight. And I was just amazed to watch that. Everything rises and falls on leadership. It's the difference between the McDonald's brothers, the founding brothers of the McDonald's franchise, and Ray Kroc. What I mean by that is the two brothers really couldn't get their restaurant off the ground, but Ray Kroc came along and turned it into one of the largest, most well-known worldwide franchises. Everything rises and falls on leadership. True in the military sense as well. Now, I know many of you probably could care less about who Yi Sun-shin is. I haven't done a Yi Sun-shin illustration in a while. But he is my hero. And I remember watching uh, the historical drama in the last battle as the uh, Japanese sailor shot him right in the heart. And as he was dying, his words were, Don't tell the men that I am dead. Simple reason. Every battle that man fought, they won. And if his men heard that he was dead, they would have scattered in fear. But because they believed that he was leading them, they could not lose. It wasn't until after the battle was over and they had won that they found out that their leader was dead. Everything rises and falls on leadership. True of the church, correct? True of the church as well. Now, here's an interesting passage here. As we look at Haggai, we're looking at a leader whom I think is very discouraged and is struggling in leading his people. And so I want to give you just a few things here today to help you kind of finish this passage, wrap it up, and give you a few challenges as well. And the first thing that I want you to see is that failure does not disrupt the plan of God. Let's read verse 21 again. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones 
and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Now, as we've been going through Haggai, there have been four messages that Haggai has delivered to the people. And in each one, he says, tell Zerubbabel, tell Joshua, and tell the people. That's message one, two, and three. But when we get to this fourth message, it's a special message. It's not a message that God tells to everybody, but he just tells to one person who's the leader of this remnant that's back in the promised land. It's Zerubbabel. And I think there's a reason for that. And as a leader, I would project that Zerubbabel is feeling discouraged at the way things have turned out. Now, I don't know if you have a definition for success, but I think a biblical definition of success is this. Finding out what God wants you to do and then doing it. That would be biblical success. It's obedience. It's discipleship. But if you then, at the end of your life, stand before God, and you found out what God has wanted you to do, and you've done it, God will say you are successful. It may be quite simple that you may be a small shopkeeper in a small town, not affecting or influencing a lot of people, but you can be one of the most successful people that God knows or God has placed around in your life simply because you've done what God has told you to do. On the flip side, you may appear to be very successful, but if that's not what God has called you to do or you haven't done what God has told you to do, you have failed. Zerubbabel was a failure. Or better yet, Zerubbabel failed. Why? Because 16 years previously, God raised him up in Babylon and said, Take this people back to the promised land, rebuild the temple, and do the things that I am telling you to do. Well, initially, Zerubbabel, with the people, got back to the promised land. They started to rebuild the temple, and then, because they faced opposition, they stopped. For 14 years, Zerubbabel, as the leader of this remnant, lived in failure. Now, after having seen four months pass, God calling the people, calling them back to him. I would imagine as a leader, like many leaders before, Zerubbabel begins reflecting on his last 14 years. And I can imagine that Zerubbabel would say, I have just wasted 14 years, not only of my life, but a life of these people. And I think the reason that this letter is addressed only to Zerubbabel, is because God wants him to know, first and foremost, that failure, his failure, your failure, my failure, our failure, does not disrupt the plan of God. Several times now here in the book of Haggai, God has continued to say, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to do something large. I'm going to do something fantastic. And I can imagine Zerubbabel feeling a little bit discouraged is thinking, I have blown it. There's no way that God can use me. You see, the interesting thing about Zerubbabel is that he is one of the many people, leaders in the lineage of David. His thinking may very well be my great, 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 and so forth and so on grandfather was a great ruler. But here I am a lowly governor by an oppressive power 
with a small remnant of people, and I still can't do the simple thing that God wants me to do, which is to rebuild the temple. I can only, as a leader, empathize with him and think that this man must truly feel like a failure. The first church that I was at was a very interesting church. For the first eight years, I was the associate pastor, and then the senior pastor wanted to get into church planning ministry. And that's exactly what he did. And then I took over. I I moved up a spot and became the senior pastor of the church. Now, our church, that first eight years, struggled financially. We always just seemed to make it. If we hired a new staff member, we always had enough money, but we never had an excess. At the end of the first year and a half of ministry, I began to feel my oats. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we had $30,000 in the bank. And I remember, and you know, I think thirty thousand dollars isn't a lot of money, but trust me, back then it was, because cavemen roamed the earth. But anyway, and I, I started thinking, we, we are truly blessed by God. We have an excess of thirty thousand dollars in our bank account. We have never had that kind of money. We are successful. God is blessing us. To find out about a month later that our treasurer had not been paying our taxes for the last two years which explains why we had that $30,000 in excess. Do you see success? We are successful. The truth is we had failed. Now, I want to tell you, that was one of the reasons that ended up with, uh, with me leaving the church eventually because of new leadership and so forth and a whole long story. But the idea is God had asked me to lead a church to do something, and because of my own procrastination or passivity or trust issues, I believe that I truly failed. Because if success is doing what God wants you to do and failure is not doing that, then I would have to look back at that time and say, you know what, I have failed. Now, many of us, when we look into our past, will then say, man, I have blown it. How can I recover? There are are probably people here today who have blown it perhaps morally or spiritually, and you're thinking to yourself, How can I get back to where I need to be? I have failed. And some of you actually are beginning to see yourselves as failures. But I think the message that God is communicating to Zerubbabel, that he would ultimately communicate to us, is that my failure, your failure, our failure, does not disrupt God's eternal plan. Zerubbabel may be wondering, this shaking has not happened. This is the third time you're telling us that you're going to shake everything up, but nothing is really being shaken up here. And he's probably thinking, it's all my fault. I have blown it. God says, no, I am going to do what I am going to do. Now think about this. If everything rises and falls on leadership, many of us, when we see this Failure will look at a leader and say, you've blown it. Now, how many of you are Sox fans here? Come on, admit it. White Sox fans. Okay, there's a few of us because right now they're changing the O to the U, but that's another story. When you think about when you come up with that, you'll get that what I mean. Controversy. They are not hitting well. Response. Fire the batting coach. They don't think about firing all the guys that aren't hitting the ball well. They just attack the leadership. He's the one who's the problem. If we get someone else in here, it may very well fix the problem. Happens in churches as well, doesn't it? The pastor's not bringing us to where we need to be. 
If we just got someone who was a new pastor, it'd be different. My first church, very interesting. The first two pastors, relational. We don't need relational pastors anymore. We need to have a future and we need to have a vision. So we need to bring in a visionary. Bring in a visionary. Five years later, we need pastors who are relational. Bring in a relational pastor and perhaps now getting ready to disband. You see, it's all, we, we're looking at leadership and thinking this is, they've blown this, they've blown that, they've blown this, they've blown that. So as leaders, many times we really do sit there and take to heart what happens not only in the church, but in your lives as well. For instance, myself, I take ministry very personally. So when someone leaves our church, it hurts. I won't mention Jenny's name when she's moving to St. Louis, how much that hurts. But when, oh, sorry. <clears throat> no, but seriously, when people leave, it hurts because there's a sense that in some way I have failed or we have failed. Leadership, if everything rises and falls on leadership, leadership, leaders need a lot of encouragement. I think this last message of God is to a leader who is struggling and discouraged because he feels like he has wasted his 14 years and the 14 years of the lives of those he's supposed to be leading closer to God. God says, though, your failure does not disrupt my eternal plan. I will do what needs to be done. These things will happen. I wonder if in some ways he would be saying to Zerubbabel, the pity party is over. You have blown it. God isn't pulling punches in this letter. Quite simply saying, you guys have forgotten what the main thing is and you are no longer focusing on the main thing. You as leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, you have blown it. But we are now going to move beyond that and we're going to get to a place where we begin to look towards the future. Which leads me to the second thing is this. God's restoring grace is greater than your failure. God's restoring grace is greater than your failure. Verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel. In other words, there's affirmation, there's encouragement. You know, baseball, basketball, whatever, when these general managers come out and say, we are giving a vote of confidence to our manager. In other words, what they're saying, we're not going to can him just yet. He's got problems, but we're going to keep him at least to the end of the year. That's our vote of confidence. Here God is saying, you are my servant. Zerubbabel, I am giving you a vote of confidence. I am not saying you are my failure, my screw up, my mess up. I am saying you are my servant. Please be confident that I have your back. He says this, I will make you my signet ring for I have chosen you. Now, if you're in community group, you've probably learned a little bit about what the signet ring is, that measure of authority. It's also a very valuable piece of jewelry. It's a prized possession. Really, what God is saying here is quite simply is, listen, Zerubbabel, your failure has not disrupted my eternal plan. I will do what I said I'm going to do. But I want you to know that my restoring grace is greater than your failure. I have chosen you. Now, the interesting thing about the signet ring here is this, that if you were to go into Jeremiah chapter 22 and go back into the lineage of Zerubbabel, you would find that he had a grandfather 
who at one point in time, because he was so evil, God said, I will remove you as my signet ring. In other words, you are no longer my prized or valued possession. It would be, and I'm only doing this as a sake of illustration, don't take this to heart, but if I were to remove my wedding ring right now and say to my wife, you will no longer be my wife, you would consider that to be very serious, correct? That's a very serious statement. So when God looks at Jeconiah and says, I will remove you because of your evil ways, he is basically saying, I am done with you because you will not return to me. He gets to Zerubbabel and he says, do you remember your great-grandfather? Because he would remember this. Well, I removed him, but I am placing you on my finger because you are our valued and prized possession. Now, how can God say that? He hasn't done what he is supposed to do. God can say it because God's restoring grace is greater than our failure, your failure, your parents' failure, your grandparents' failure. What God is trying to communicate here is saying, Zerubbabel, it is you and me right now, here and now, and I want you to understand, you have failed. It doesn't affect my eternal plan. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do, but I want you to understand that I value you. You are a prized possession. You are my signet ring. You are a sign of my authority. I value you. I value your leadership, and I'm encouraging you to put your past behind you and start moving forward because we're not going to live in the past, but we're going to move towards the future and the things that I'm going to do in the future. God's restoring grace is greater than our failure. What really is going on here? I think for us in a practical sense, when we look at our lives, I could imagine if we took a survey, many of us, in reviewing and considering our ways, would say, I have blown it. I think many of us would say, I have blown it so bad, I don't know if I will ever get to that place where God had intended me to be, let alone to the place I was before I fell off the map. I think many of us, and and I have seen a lot of pastors who have struggled with things before they became pastors, to turn their lives around completely. Every time I go to Cook County on Wednesday, I look at the faces of men who have killed other people. I look at the faces of men who have sold drugs that have probably killed other people, but are coming to Christ and are giving them lives, and, and they may never have a future beyond the prison cell. Some of these guys will spend the rest of their lives in a prison cell, but they understand not having heard Haggai, that they are precious and valued to God. They have failed. Their failure has huge consequences, not only for themselves, for their families, for their children, for their friends, for the people that they have victimized, but God still could say to them, I value you and your failure is not greater than my restoring grace. That's the message that God is communicating to Zerubbabel because I'm really convinced that as a leader, he is struggling to lead this people because he feels like a failure and has not discerned the fact that there's a difference between being a failure and having failed. Someone who failed is someone who hears what God wants them to do and doesn't do it. Someone who is a failure who continues to live like that. And what I mean is a failure in the sense of God's eyes is someone who hears over and over again, do this from God, and they do nothing whatsoever. 
That would be a failure. But you can go from being a failure to someone who has simply failed when you return to God. The people have failed. They, for 14 years, were living as failures, but now God has come to them. He's brought some dire situations into their lives, and he has now said, consider your ways, which they did, and return to me, which they did. Now they move forward. The whole book of Haggai is a book of, <coughs> is a book of revival. It's a book of restoration. It's a book of re- reconciliation. God is bringing his people back to them. I would say this. Haggai here ends with a stirring word of encouragement to a discouraged leader. It's God's way of saying to him, don't give up. Hang in there. Uh, I didn't have a title for the message, but Bobby uh, Uman and I were talking about what should be the message title for today. And uh, my initial thought was, it's not over until you're dead. But I don't really think that's a good title. But it's true, right? So I think maybe something better, like it's not over till it's over. In other words, I have no idea where you're at today. But whether you are living as a failure or you have lived in failure, God would say, consider your ways and return to me. Let me give you two challenges which I think are very important as we finish this book of Haggai. First one is this. Consider your ways and return to God. Consider your ways and return to God. The whole book of Haggai is consider, consider, return, return. God is speaking to a people who for 14 years really have lived in prosperity, which could say a lot for our church and many churches all across America. They're living in paneled houses. In other words, they're living a luxurious life. But there's something wrong. There's just some dark cloud, as Pastor David said, that is rolling over the land where they're putting so much time and effort into seeing something really good happen, but a lot of good things aren't happening. Their crops are failing. They're spending a lot of money, but not really seeming to get a lot of good things, which really means they must have been experiencing prosperity if they could live in luxury. But there's there's something that's wrong. And so the message of Haggai is, think about what's going on in your lives. Think, is God first? This Friday, I sat down with a guy who's my mentor, and we are talking about the missional church. And my thinking was, the missional church is a church that is on a mission that carries out events of missions. In other words, if we look at the HIV AIDS events, that's the activity of a missional church. We are a church that's involved in reaching our community. But what he did, he caused me to think a little bit further. He said, what really is missional? Is missional activities? Is missional events? Or is missional living with a mission? Is missional (coughs) transferring your allegiance for living for self to living for God? There's a huge difference. We can be a prosperous church. (coughs) We can have a lot of funds in the bank. We can be involved in a lot of missional activities and yet, in a biblical way, not be a missional church. Because in our hearts, we have not transferred our allegiance. 
The call of God here in Haggai is not to rebuild the temple. That's a missional activity. The call of God in Haggai is to follow God completely, to follow God always, to follow God wholeheartedly, which we saw in several messages in the past. A missional Christian, someone who is missional, is someone who follows in the footsteps of Jesus. In other words, our attitudes and our allegiance is not for us, but it is for God. He is the main thing, and we will keep the main thing the main thing because we will follow God, and that's it. And however that comes out in your life may very well be different, but that's what it means to be missional. It's not activities. And I fear that many times myself and many times the church as a whole thinks we have done the work of God because we've done an activity and have forgotten that the work of God needs to be done in God's way with God's heart. That's missional. That is what the Bible teaches, what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not coming to church only. It's not reading your Bible and praying or going to community groups, but it is a changing of allegiance. Who is in charge of your life? That's the question that God would ask ancient Israel here. Who's in charge? Are you guys in charge? Yes, you're in charge. That's why you have luxurious homes and the temple worship has not been restored to where it needs to be. Today, God would say to us, And we'll keep it here as a church to myself. Look at your homes. Look at your careers. Look at your families. Are you living for comfort or are you living for Christ? Activity does not mean that you're living for Christ. It is your heart. Who's in charge? Who's Lord? So God would say as a challenge to all of us, if we're talking about revival and ignite, consider your ways. Yes, look at what's going on in your life. Yes, look at what you're doing. But clearly, look at your heart. Who's in charge? Second challenge for us. Learn from your past. Just don't live in it. Learn from your past. Just don't live in it. This message here to Zerubbabel is that totally He would say, look at your great-great-grandfather. Look at what he did. Look at his sin. And I removed him. Now I am restoring you because my grace, my restoring grace is greater than your failure. Learn from that, but don't live in it. Zerubbabel, don't beat yourself for the next 14 years because you failed for 14 years. It's over. There is nothing that you can do about it. If you had an argument with your spouse today as you drove to church, I didn't, just so that you're not thinking this is a personal interstate, but that's only because we drive in two different cars, but we're not mad at each other anyway. So with all those disclaimers in mind, if you had an argument with your spouse on the way to church, there's nothing you can do about it right now. It is done. It has happened. You have failed. Consider your ways, return to God, maybe even going back to your spouse and apologizing or working through that and reconciling. That's what is ahead of you. (coughs) Looking in the past is not going to help unless you learn from it. Don't live in it. Living in the past is not going to help you in your future. It's a ball and chain. How many of you yelled at your kids on the way to church here? No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. 
I can't tell you how many times I have been absolutely angry and furious with my kids. And then you have to get up there and preach. Now, I am not saying, oh, live how you want, sin like crazy, no big deal, but always know God will forgive you. That's not what I'm saying. Because that kind of attitude then takes us back to the first challenge, doesn't it? Who's in charge? What I want you to see, though, is we learn from our past. We don't live in it. I think today, because of all the things that happened in the first church, a lot of mistakes that I made, I was clearly a large part of the problems that existed in that church, has shaped me to be who I am today. I am not perfect. I would imagine that in the last 19 months or so that I've been here, that I could say right now, how many of you have I failed or how many of you have I hurt by something I have said or something I have done or something I have not said or not done? I would imagine at least 20 to 30 of you could stand up and say, you have failed me. To me, that bothers me. And I'm not proud to say that I have failed some of you. And if I have, I would hope that you would confront me and say, this is what you've done because it helps me learn from that. Because I do make mistakes. I do fail. I do blow it frequently. But we don't live in the past. We don't rejoice, yeah, sin was great, that was wonderful, let's do it some more, God will forgive me. We learn from it. And what we learn from the past is that sin kills Sin kills relationships. It it ruins the activity of God. That's what Zerubbabel would learn. He would walk and say, no matter what the opposition is, we faced opposition 14 years ago, and we will face it again, but we're going to learn. We're going to learn that we are going to follow God and finish this temple no matter what, and in four years, they did. He learned from his past. He didn't live in it. There are many of you that are coming from families where family life is screwed up and it is holding you back. My encouragement is, I do not want you to rejoice in the pain, but I want you to learn from the past, not live in the past. Because God's call in your life is to develop a family that is different from what the past is. And when you can learn those lessons, you can pass on different lessons to your children. You can pass on a different lesson to your spouse. Because God wants us to understand that his restoring grace is greater than your failure. And so it doesn't make sense to live in the past and let it bind you. But to learn from the past and let it set you free as you fulfill the future vision that God has for your life. That, I think, is is, is a good part of what Haggai is trying to communicate to the people and let them know that it is not over until it's over. Let's pray. And I want us to just take a few minutes here before the worship team comes up. And I want you to consider your ways. Really seriously, even though it's a few minutes and I would encourage you like I did last week and the week before to take this home and think, where are you at? Consider your ways. Are there things in your life that aren't going as you would expect them to go? God is speaking. Do you feel like a failure today? And after hearing what the definition is, says, yes, I am a failure and yes, I have failed Don't leave it there. Because if God has spoken to you today in whatever manner, 
He has spoken to you. You can be successful in God's eyes by responding to his call upon your life and following Jesus. Walking in his footsteps, following his plan, his agenda, his purpose, his will. There's no one that should leave here today who would not be successful. It doesn't mean you may get that new job. It doesn't mean that you may get that raise. It doesn't mean that life will become wonderful and comfortable. But success is determined by hearing the voice of God and doing what God has asked you to do. The challenge then, the stirring that the people had in chapter 1 of Haggai is the same stirring that we ask God for. Father, stir our hearts. You have done it in the past. Many times to your people in ancient Israel, to your church throughout all of history, we pray now that you will stir our hearts with a fire and a passion that will follow Jesus no matter what. Whether we get our way or not doesn't make a difference to us, for it is your way that we want. We want to live in your way. And I pray that that is what the attitude is in our heart for everyone in this church. In Jesus' name.